Hello and welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. Hey everybody, it is my absolute pleasure today to interview Vicky Hoyton, who is an experienced coach and coaching consultant, as well as the founder of the Female Coaching Network. She's worked with all sorts of organizations. I love that she's into creating cultural and systemic changes for a safer and fairer environment and all the wonderful things that we need in sport and in coaching. Vicky, welcome to the show. Hi, Emma. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. All right, so let's kick it off with the Vegemite question. Now, I know with that fantastic British accent there, you do have the Marmite version. <laughs> so what's what's your take on Vegemite we do, or, we do. or Marmite? Yeah, so I don't know the difference. Is there a difference between Marmite and Vegemite? I've only had the Marmite version. Okay, so well, if, if that counts towards answering the question, I do love a bit of Marmite. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I think there is a slight difference. So one day you'll have to do a little blind taste test Definitely. or something like that. All right. Because you love Marmite, then we'll go with your best coaching moment and what was a lesson or two. Yeah, this, I've been very, very lucky to coach so many different athletes and a few different sports as well. So guess one of the ones that kind of came to mind was this was a few years ago now when I am a track and field sprints coach by training and that's kind of my background but uh, around about 2009-2010 quite a while ago now um, I worked alongside one of my favorite coaches in the world Mo Marley England uh, former England football coach at the time she was head coach of Everton and this was back in the day when uh women's football there was no WSL professional league uh the women's team had to wait for the under eight boys to finish using the facility before they could use the facility and all that kind of stuff that was was going on in the good old days of women's football but anyway yeah I, I remember I was asked by Mo Marley to come in and help to basically give some running and speed and sprint training to, to the players and really absolutely, you know, I was an Everton fan as well. And I absolutely loved watching all their training sessions and watch a few of their matches. And one thing that a few people used to say to me was, we don't really understand why we kind of score all of our goals in the second half. And we always have a really bad first half and a really good second half. And as I watched them training and I watched a few games, I realized that actually they're not doing a very good job of warming up, not just as a team, but as individual people, they weren't warming up properly. So actually what was happening was the first half of a game was a warm up, and that's why they were performing better in the second half. So over the next few weeks, I kind of helped them develop individual warm ups, what they could do as individual players. And then away from the actual football technical warm up, what they could do to kind of warm themselves up properly. So, to answer that question, my favourite coaching moment was a few weeks after that, they kindly invited me to watch a Champions League game that they were in. And I'm sat kind of in the little VIP box. And because I was super excited for the game, I got there super early to watch them warm up. And right in front of my eyes, I saw them setting up this these warm-up drills that I'd been drilling into them literally over the few weeks before. And it was just a really cool moment to see you know, were kind of standing there, invited to the Champions League game. And I'd worked with these players for a few weeks and they're in front of my eyes. They're all doing like 
all the different sprint drills, which back then was quite ahead of its time because, you know, as, and, and you may know this being a tennis coach that you don't really, when you're learning to be a coach in sport, you don't really get taught how to teach people how to run, even though running slightly different in tennis because of the lateral movements, but quite ahead of its time doing the kind of sprint training. And I was always really nervous that what I was teaching wouldn't really work or wouldn't take on. So yeah, I guess kind of seeing that unfold in front of my eyes on the pitch was quite a cool experience to see happen. That is super cool. And also a great lesson in and around warmups. Uh, something sometimes we take for granted. So mm. thank you for sharing that. Uh, what about on the flip side? Can you think of a coaching moment that didn't go well? Yeah, this this is always an awkward question, isn't it? Because it's like, how you know, how do you want to kind of admit that you know, kind of made a lot of mistakes along the way? But I think when I was thinking about it, I thought actually I'm also going to use the same thing as uh, a worst coaching moment and something that um, when I was at Everton, I wouldn't necessarily say was a moment, but actually a worst element of my coaching where back then um, I didn't quite realise just how introverted I was as a person. And obviously, as you get a bit older, you realise this is just part of who I am. But I kind of expressed that introversion as extreme shyness. So as a, you know, 20-something-year-old who is super keen on coaching, I was so nervous to prove myself that uh, I didn't interact with the players properly. Again, part of my shyness was I'm stood there in front of these powerhouses of women's football in England, like the Jill Scotts, Tony Harris, probably not communicating very well, but also prove to them how much I knew rather than just explaining a little bit and then cracking on with the drills, you know, and as any athlete, they want to get moving. They don't want to just stand there listening to somebody wittering on. So yeah, when I kind of thought of that, uh, my best coaching moment, it kind of made me think of actually back then, was also part of my worst coaching moments was the fact that I was so nervous about trying to prove myself that I do remember all these times of having all the players stood in front of me and just talking and talking and talking and actually thinking back to how bored they must have been listening to me going on. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably say co worst coaching moments was also Everton. So, Vicky, thank you for sharing that. I just want to go rogue for a minute around coaches listening who are beginning their journey and perhaps feel whether it be shyness, introversion, what what's a quick tip from someone who's lived and breathed that that you would provide for them, you know, to continue down this beautiful road because we need the extroverted coach, we need the introverted mm -hmm. coach, we need the 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 diversity of coaches. So what advice would you have for them? Yeah, it's a really good question because, like, honestly, it's only in the last couple of years I've realised that actually I am a full-on, as strong as it gets, introvert, which sounds ridiculous when I'm the founder of a network and I'm on a podcast. But this is, like, something that doesn't come easy to me. And I think that the one piece of advice that I would give that, again, I didn't know back then was I see my introversion as a bit of a superpower, which sounds the cheesiest thing you'll ever hear. But I think as a coach... You are taught, whether it be through the media or, you know, social media, that to be a coach, you have to be an extroverted male of a certain age, former athlete, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I'm none of those things. I'm not a former athlete. I'm not a male and I'm definitely not extroverted. And I think it's really important, firstly, that we start to see different coaches and, you know, people like yourself, um, all the, you know, different female coaches, different personality of coaches. I think that the media needs to start picking up on that rather than the big shouty Premier League English coaches. Um, but I think one bit of advice, which is actually something I've, I've, I'm helping another coach with at the moment is I'm mentoring um, a coach who's part of our internship program on a project we're doing with Tottenham Hotspur, who amazingly has got many of the traits that I do. She's very introverted. So I think the one thing that I've really tried to get across to her is that it's not a negative and to use it as a strength. And then where you do see there are gaps, particularly in a team sport, when you've got assistant coaches, maybe you could ask the assistant coach who might be a different personality to you to step in. So if, you, if you're a team coach and you're a lot more introverted and you think perhaps your team in that moment might need someone who's very vocal, very you know expressive, maybe that's where you go out and find an assistant coach who can help match up with that. Um, but yeah, in, in individual sports, which is mainly where I've come from, although again, I did a bit of work with football, is to kind of see that as part of who you are and part of your coaching strength rather than something to fight against, which I wish I'd known back then. Um, you know, I definitely, I wouldn't say it caused me issues, but I think it, it lost me out of, on a lot of opportunities because of how shy and introverted I was and rather than accepting that, I think. So, yeah, kind of see that as a strength. And if you do need those gaps filling in, don't force yourself to be that person you're not. Just ask for help from your assistant. Great advice. Two other things came up for me. One is I, I used to work for uh, this coach and after I'd warm the kids up, he would, I'd, t- I'd say war stories. He'd stand there and tell his war story for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and he had great intentions and his stories were really cute, right? But the girls were like, come on, we, we, we just yeah. want to hit tennis balls back in the day. And the other thing our, you know, our uh, fellow awesome coach in Judy Murray, she always says, let the activity do the teaching for you. So another great mm-hmm. tip when you set up an awesome learning environment, so many times the introverts are so good at that as well, because often they are deeply thinking. Yeah. It's not that they're tuning out. It's that they are actually processing and going through yeah a deep game plan or, you know, how and the why. So, so we need all, all the introversion, all the extroversion and and blend it together. Yeah. So awesome, awesome message. What about a sliding doors moment in your life? Can you share one with us? Yeah. Yeah. This one was quite easy for me. Um, so I've, I've always, ever since I can remember, always wanted to work in sport in some capacity, but coming from the generation that I do back then, the only career in sport was to be a P teacher. Even if you wanted to be an athlete, which for the record, I was never going to be, um, it still wasn't a profession, especially back then. So for me, it was always, I wanted to be a PE teacher because that at the time was the only way that you could earn money and just live your days in sport. And I had uh, two particular female PE teachers, uh, Pat Cummings, shout out to Pat Cummings and Diane Ball, who uh, were very inspirational to me as sports women. And again, really the only sports women that I saw other than 
Wimbledon once a year on the BBC and the Olympic Games every four years, really. Um, so that was my path. I was going to be a PE teacher, went to university, studied sport, uh, took a year out rather than going straight into teacher training, but took a year out and then went back to do teacher training. Did I was a teaching assistant at a high school, got the timetable written for me at the beginning of the year and I was ready to go in September and then had to do this particular assessment, whatever it was, to for the teaching assistant. Um, and I failed it. And that year, being a P teacher was really, you know, it was a really hard thing because everybody wanted to be P teacher, didn't they? Um, and also P teachers hung on to their jobs, so there's very few opportunities. And I'd actually got everything in place, but that year the assessment was something like you had to get over 80%, whatever it was. And I got that I got 82%, but that year there was a freakish number of people that got over the 80%. And I was the last one in that group. And I remember finding out, got the letter through the post, sorry, when when you've not passed. And honestly, I absolutely sobbed my heart out because I was like, well, this is, I just want to work in sport. This is the only thing I want to do. And actually it was the best thing that ever happened because no disrespect to teachers out there whatsoever, because we need, we need more good teachers, but the lifestyle that I wanted and the type of involvement that I wanted in sport, teaching wouldn't have suited, you know, you can't have time off when you want most of the kids you coach don't really want to be there you know all that kind of stuff and I'd also just started coaching and just that comparison of working with kids and athletes that want to be there and have a goal in that sport compared to working with kids that just they forget the trainers they forget their PE kit etc cetera, etc cetera. um so thinking back to it, it was the best thing that ever happened because now all of a sudden I was forced to find what other careers there were in sport. Um, and I wouldn't be doing the female coaching network now if if that had gone well. So, yeah, the, the sport thing has never changed. But um, thankfully, I'm not a teacher and, and things have moved on from there. So I would definitely say that was a sliding doors. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. What about our guiding question? You have answered it once before. You do feature in What Makes a Great Coach. <laughs> we have obviously known each other now over the years. Uh, yeah. You said passion back then, so you know the question in one to a maximum of three words, what makes a great coach? So I'm curious to know, where are you at today? Yeah, do you know, I was thinking about that, and I, I do remember saying the passion, and obviously thank, uh, very grateful that, that you included me in that awesome book, and I hope everybody out there has got a copy of that. Um, yes, passion, but I'm going to add a little caveat to it. It's passion for learning. Um, and again, something that I've kind of learned over the last few years is I've always been very passionate for sport, um, but that's not enough. Um, and it's the the learning that goes with that, whether that is learning your uh, the technical side of sport, whether it's learning about how to be a coach or even learning about yourself. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I've kind of cheated on this answer. I've kind of passion for learning is three. But then I've also included um, empathy, selflessness, passion. Um, so just to kind of to go on to those other two, the empathy. Um, I think 
if you as a coach can't empathize with the people you're working with then I don't think you can help them and you you can't necessarily help them to develop and reach their potential I think having that skill of putting yourself into other into the other person's shoes is like a huge element to helping them develop as people because that way you can help them with their needs and not try and force what they need to learn onto them um selflessness I mean every single coach knows like you have to be selfless there are obviously coaches out there who are not and they are in the game for how many medals grand slams and uh, you know uh, world records that they can get in their name and that for me is where good coaching breaks down the minute you make it about yourself as a coach over the athlete or the team that's when the problems start to arise um and then yeah passion for learning I remember years ago, a grumpy old male coach saying to me, what do you know? You've only been coaching X number of years. I've been coaching for 30 years. And what he actually meant was he's coached one year, 30 times, not 30 years of progression. And that has always stuck in my mind of he was really old school. And yeah, okay, I might have been the arrogant young coach if I know it all and I'm learning this, that and the other, but that's really stuck in my mind of it's got nothing to do with how long you've been coaching. It's how long you've been learning while you're coaching for me that you should then put that timestamp on. Mm. So I'm going to circle back to that once, once I <laughs> finish my <laughs> official questions. All right. So uh, what question do you have for the coaching podcast when you get a chance to meet other successful coaches and I know you 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 do a lot of interviews as well I watched one with the fabulous Catherine Barker uh recently so thank you for everything that you do there what sparks your curiosity do you know I, I, I again I was deeply thinking about this being an introvert um do you know what I think it is for me it's not necessarily one question it's about learning how people hold themselves and how they explain themselves, if that makes sense. So again, going back to me as a shy person, whilst I I remember, whilst I lack confidence in myself, for some reason I never lacked confidence of my coaching ability because I was studying all the time. I was watching athletes run in and break down technique and for some reason, I always had this like conviction that I know what I'm doing. I'm just not a confident person. And I've been very, very lucky over the journey of, of the Female Coaching Network to meet, not only meet some incredible women, but also be supported by many amazing women. And it's that thing that I want to know is how do you hold yourself? And just, just to kind of give you an example, hopefully this will make sense to everyone. A few years ago, I started a project in athletics or track and field in the UK. And I had, uh, I, I worked quite closely with the then CEO of UK athletics, Joanna Coates. And I, I'll never forget one of the things that really stood out to me uh, with Joe was how authentic and honest she was and how she held herself and, and what she believed in and, and, and her conviction. Uh, and I'm very grateful. Joe has been amazing. I, I'm still in touch with her and she, put, she supports me a lot along the way. But I remember thinking that rather than asking her questions, which again, she she allows me to do and I'm uh, she's always there for me to pick her brain. 
it was more around watching and observing how she holds herself, how she delivers her message, how she acts in front of her colleagues and, and the staff that, that, that she um, looks after. Um, yeah, and I've always been really curious about when I'm watching like your podcast, Emma, for example, how you deliver your message, how you interact with the people that you're interviewing. And that I think is something that I perhaps never had when I was younger. I never had those female role models. Again, from a sport point of view, it was Wimbledon once a year and it was the Olympic Games and then that was it. And, you know, watching Serena and Venus in that semi-final in 1999, I'll never forget again, like just these two powerful, strong women and how they would hold themselves and how they, um, basically showcased what they were the best at doing so I don't know if that really answers your question and if that leaves like a, a bit of an awkwardness to my answer but I think it, uh, like I say it's I am really curious as to how women in particular and female leaders whether it be CEOs lawyers uh, coaches how they are and how they deliver that conviction authentically if that makes sense it makes complete sense and I think going back to the superpower of introversion is that introverts listen really well mm. and they sometimes notice the body language, you know, the state and the messaging that coaches have. They have this deep ability and, and maybe it comes a little bit more naturally. Extroverts want to jump in the space because they're already thinking about yeah how they're going to respond. So, Listening is something that I think that we as as I'm definitely an extroverted coach can really gain value from that because I I love watching great coaches mm. and learning the look, learning what they say. Why did they say that? How mm. did they say yeah. that? How did they know to go there? How what's their yeah. body language? What's their posture? What message are they giving off? Which is how they hold themselves and explain themselves because yeah i think also it does it takes a lifetime and i ref, because i do edit my own podcast i'm constantly listening as well to to the messaging and can it yeah. be more succinct and can it be more clear and sometimes mm -hmm. do i need to pause to be yeah. more authentic as you say and honest and when you watch great speakers when you watch great coaches in action I think it's I think that's a wonderful thing to be curious about so thank yeah. you for sharing that all right I want to immediately go back to to the coach that is resistant to change can you mm. share a strategy that you talk about cultural and systemic change when you go into these clubs and they've been doing it their way for a long time and they've had some pretty good success so why why do they need to change I'm playing devil's advocate here of course and what <laughs> what strategies to help break down you know the and open the eyes to maybe the passion for learning what are your thoughts on that topic? Yeah, it's one that I battle with daily <laughs> in trying to create change with the FCN. It's um I think I think one of the saddest things about sport that has developed gradually is that clubs and federations and sometimes coaches 
have forgotten why they exist. They exist to support and support and grow the athletes. And ultimately, sport would exist without a governing body, without a coach, without the network that surrounds the athlete. It's the performance bit that we all add. So you take away the athlete, there's no sport. You take away everything else, you've still got sport. And I think what is really important in trying to create that change and trying to trying to help people keep learning is that you're doing this for the athlete, not yourself. So if you're stuck in your ways and it's not benefiting your athlete, then either leave or keep learning. And I think, again, it's something that I'm trying to get across in athletics in the UK at the moment. If anybody follows the story of athletics in the UK, it's very interesting, shall we say, to be polite. It's, uh, it's again, it's that the governing body is forgetting why they exist. And in order to create that change, it's not about change for change's sake. It's about how can you adapt? You know, we've got a new generation of athletes every few years or so, and yet we've got the same old people, the same old structures, the same old barriers that existed as far back as 1964. And the reason I say that year is because um, a friend of mine was a high jumper for GB in the 64 Olympics, first time it was in Tokyo. And we've had many, many conversations. It's all the same. It's all the same stuff going on back then that's going on now. And of course, some of the people are different, although believe it or not, some of the coaches back then are still hanging about now. And it's just those same attitudes of it's about them. It's about the coach. It's about the governing body. It's about how many medals we can win. You know, it's about aren't we amazing? We've done this X, Y, Z. And the athletes are just completely forgotten. So I think it's just trying to get that message across that for you to support an athlete to develop as a person and an athlete you have to adapt to them you have to adapt to the times you have to adapt to the sport and that is something that most people sadly have forgotten i think in sport Mm, because the ego gets in the way exactly exactly you know i'll never forget years ago i was in a a coaching conference it was like a like a workshop and there was a circle of 10 coaches and I was there as an observer. I wasn't part of it. The 10 coaches, uh, between them all had various number of Olympic medals, Olympic athletes, blah, blah, blah. Very first part of any workshop is, can you just introduce yourself? Hi, my name's X, I coach Y. This introduction of these coaches went on for two hours, listing every Olympian, every PB they've coached. And it's like, geez, like, I just wanted to know your name and we're going to crack on and learn. And it's it's like they just had to prove, oh, I'm the best, I do this, I do that. And that's not what it's about. It's not what it should be about anyway. So, yeah. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> I, I sound very cynical towards no. coaching. I'm not. I, it's just, uh, you know, trying to create that change is uh, sometimes yeah. you've got to look at the stuff that's not working. Yeah, absolutely. To be able to make that change. Well, let's go there. Let's let's flip it over to a positive. Uh, when I asked you about one of the topics that you love to talk about, uh, it made my heart sing that the first thing <laughs> you wrote down was asking questions. This is yes. one of the reasons I wrote the book. It's one of the reasons I run the podcast. You're a big believer that a coach's job is to create a space for the athlete coach mentor to learn and not just tell. Mm -hmm. 
So mm-hmm. when did you, because I, I personally had a big epiphany around that uh, comment for me as a coach and I almost overnight attempted to flip flip myself the on the other way of, of the scale, so to speak. When did you open your eyes up to this? Was it somebody that influenced you or something you learned or something you saw in action? But when did you realise that questions are the answer? Again, this is something that's kind of developed throughout my career. And going back to that example of when I was coaching at Everton, this is definitely not what I was doing. I was too busy telling people what to do. I think two examples really is number one, again, through through the work I'm doing with the Female Coaching Network, I mentor a few coaches. Um, and to begin with, I mentored coaches within my own sport, which was cheating a little bit because I know my own sport. And then I started coaching someone in a different sport. And I remember before our first meeting thinking, oh, my God, I don't really know anything about that sport other than watching it on TV. What can I tell them? And, you know, I really delved into what is a mentor, what is a coach. And the idea is that you don't have to know what they know. You just have to be able to pull out of them what they know. And I think for me, that was a big epiphany of, yeah, like I'm not here to prove that I know their sport more than them. I'm not here to tell them tactics or technical information. And actually, I learned a hell of a lot from them because their sport was completely different to mine. And I think for me, when I was planning that first session with them, I literally just had loads of questions written down. And I remember asking the first question, which was, what do you want? I literally said to them, what would you like to talk about today? And that was it. Like that was the the big opener. And I remember getting to the end of that uh, first uh, session with them, maybe 90 minutes or so and thinking, I never once told them anything. And actually all the things that they brought up to me previously, but oh, I'm really worried about this. I don't know how to do that. They answered their own question. And I think that was a real powerful thing for me to think they just need someone to pull it out of them. Um, and then I think the second example is um, I have a friend of mine who I've known for perhaps a year now who's a lawyer. And anyone out there that's got experience with lawyers, their job is to ask questions. <laughs> and obviously their job is to make sure they fully understand the situation and they've got all the evidence, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there's been loads of times where I'll just be having a chat with them, blah, 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 and telling them this and telling them that. And they'll stop me in my tracks and ask me a question. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. Or, oh, yeah, I don't know. And and it was just really interesting the way that whereas I'll be wittering on about something and potentially not even fully thinking about what I'm saying, but they'll pick up on something I've said and catch me and ask me a question about it. So, yeah, two very different situations. But I think I think asking questions, as simple as it sounds, is the answer to 99% of the issues particularly obviously in sport, the world we work. Um, Because yes, as a coach, especially if you're trying to teach someone a technique, you have to tell them what to do. But it's quite, quite quickly, you know, just say, oh, do you you remember what to do now? Or, and it's just really interesting to ask those questions and just really observe what kind of comes back to you. Yeah, because one of my core philosophies is they'll hold up so much better under pressure if they've actually discovered. And uh, there's a in uh, one of the teaching organizations here in the States, they're always talking about pushing information on somebody versus I love the word that you use, pulling 
push pull mm-hmm. that dance between push pull and coaches listening if if you're if you're a coaching podcast fan then you mm-hmm. will know my philosophy on it which I've pretty much gone from one end of the scale to the other in in my coaching and that's because of the impact of business coaching and and what that really had on my sports coaching effect and what it and again coming back to selflessness what that did for the athlete not what that did for me it was what that did for them, which which I really love. Mm-hmm. All right. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by The Samson Agency, a boutique talent agency managing entertainers, artists, and athletes. You can learn more at thesamsonagency.com. And if you're interested in becoming a coach, check out opendoorcoachingusa.com for all our latest courses in Leader as Coach and our High Performance Workplace Coaching Certification. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk about the Female Coaching Network. Please share its mission. Why does it exist? Why did you start it? How long has it been going and what's next? Yeah, Female Coaching Network. So like I say, it's a complete opposite to my personality. I'm introverted. I want to hide away. And instead I create this this network. Um, it kind of started from, again, when I, when I was coaching track and field, and I've always had an ambition that I wanted to coach elite athletes and, you know, maybe still in the back of my head, although I'm not coaching at the moment, I want to coach an Olympian. And I started to get involved with lots of high performance programs and all this kind of, you know, the pathway to to that level of the sport. And I started to realize that granted, again, whilst I was quite a naive, you know, late 20s doing all this, I still had a lot to learn start to realize actually it's not as simple as just being a good coach there's a lot of politics that are in the way to get in there um and as I started to speak to various uh other coaches male and female and I was watching what UK athletics at the time were putting in place to try and increase female high performance coaches I thought that that's not going to work because that's not solving what what the issues are um, so this was way back in 2014 when I very February 2014 when I bought the URL femalecoachingnetwork.com, um, and I wanted to create an online platform to connect female coaches, um, basically in between the conferences. So at the time I was part of helping deliver a female coaching conference, which was great, but then what happens? You know, the other 364 days of the year. So the idea was really was being the introvert that I am. It was to create a website, hide behind it. Nobody knows who I am and let it, let that kind of do do the work. But anyone that's trying to kind of start an online business or an online platform, if you don't know coding, if you don't know websites, and I really didn't, you know, it, it, um, it was a lot harder than I thought. So I spent the first few years just trying to build up that website, interviewing so many women in which you know has just been phenomenal to speak to so many women and I think that's where you and I first met as well was was mm-hmm. the connections of building all that up and um, building up the social media and, and, and back then in, in the early days of the female coaching network the big mission really was trying to convince sports that you need more female coaches it really was literally convincing them that, that you need women and then gradually that conversation started to change. And we don't need to convince people anymore. We just need to help them know how to do it. Um, so as I started to see the website and the interest growing, I realized actually a bit more strategic work needed to be involved. It wasn't, you can't create change by being passive, which in a way is what the SCM was at the beginning. 
And my background after failing being a teacher, thankfully, um, I moved into sports development. So I had a lot of experience of coach development, sports development, club development. And I thought I just need to get more strategic about this. Um, so I started to, first of all, figure a way out of getting funding so I could do this full time. Um, and Nike, uh, back in the end of 2019, Nike agreed to come on board and support me with that. Um, and that's when really everything started to take off with that real creating change because we had Nike's partnership and influence. So they um, helped me with kicking off the track and field work. And they they also sponsor UK Athletics. Um, so that was kind of how the introduction came there, even though, again, that was my background. But to be introduced at the CEO level was what they kind of supported with. And um, yeah, so the project went from there where we did some research in partnership with Leeds Beckett University into what the landscape of a female coach in the UK was. <clears throat> and out of that came lots of findings, lots of recommendations. And it was just learning more and more. And, and again, asking questions. What is your experience of a female coach? Or asking the athletes, what's your experience being on a team that's dominated by male coaches and male staff? And all the answers, again, were being pulled out and coming to me. And and again, you know, just really kind of being that bridge between what the coaches and the athletes need and what the uh, governing bodies need to implement. And that's kind of really where the more strategic side took off. And through that work, through the track and field, I kind of developed like a model and a strategy that I started to apply to other sports um, and then that led us into football, working with Tottenham Hotspur over in the Premier League in England and a few other different sports. So, yeah, it's been like a crazy journey where setting off with the FCN, I didn't really know what the end goal was other than I wanted to do something. And I didn't even know what that something was. Um, and just reading, studying, asking questions, speaking to people, building that network up. And then through... Uh, my own personal development, learning how to use my own voice and learning it on learning how to use it on behalf of other women as well, which is a big part. It's a big responsibility when people are telling you what the problems are and then you're the, the one being vocal about that. So yeah, it's it honestly it's been a phenomenal journey. Um there's a lot more change that needs to happen as you know and there's a lot more opportunities coming our way. But ultimately it's a platform that connects women, asks questions, and then hopefully delivers that change in a strategic and sustainable way. So to finish on that note, what would be your best piece of advice for a male champion of change that wants more diversity and equity within their club? Uh, what, what would you, what's a top tip that you would share? ask a question like genuinely ask the question um I, there's no there's no magic uh there's nothing magic about creating change there's, you don't need a certain level of intelligence or experience to create change it's about asking the question to that person why do you feel you're not progressing how do you feel coming into this environment what do you think we can change and it is literally just asking the question because the answers are there. Um, I, I know I keep repeating that, ask a question, but like 
it, it, it's what it's all about. It really is. Like I said, there's no, there's nothing magic about bringing more women into the sport. I am certainly not the only one that knows how to do that. So, yeah, anyone out there that's thinking they want to support other women or, you know, anyone from a diverse background, ask them what they need and then implement that. Oh, it sounds simple, but it, it works. Yeah, yeah. And if we don't ask, then we're never going to know. And asking why questions when you're at that level within clubs is fantastic. Asking why questions when we're working with athletes, <laughs> not always yeah. the best question we can ask, but taking a deeper dive on why is it important to the club? Why is it important that we that we have a diverse workforce and how's that going to support our athletes so that we can be in service to them and in service to the sport or on the coaching podcast to the company, be in service to the organization, to the industry at a, at a mm -hmm. wider glance, I think is so, so important. It's been a pleasure chatting, coaching with you. I know, I feel like we're only just scratched the surface, but, <laughs> but hopefully I'm going to get rid of the word. Hopefully I'm sure everybody felt the, the passion uh, for continuous learning. They are going to reflect on their own questioning skills in uh, and remember that uh, introverted coaches, it's one of their superpowers in being curious and listening and being an introvert. So we can all work together with authenticity and honesty. So there's my summary for a fantastic interview. Thank you so much, Vicky, for being on the coaching podcast. Thanks again. I, I really enjoyed that chat. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye for now. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Coaching Podcast, please share it with a fellow coach. And thanks for listening.